Welcome back to Three Point Firefighter, the podcast where I have conversations with firefighters from all around the country on all things fire service related, especially those three things that I think are the foundation for any good firefighter, pride, training, and physical fitness. Today's guest is Adam Baylor. I work with Adam at New Albany, and I was his training officer when he first got hired on the job. I quickly noticed his passion not only for the job, but for physical fitness. Adam's not a standard go to the gym, lift weights, and run around the neighborhood kind of guy. His passion lies with obstacle course racing, and the training for that is pretty rugged. A couple years ago, Adam got me interested in OCRs, and I quickly realized that the training for such races is excellent for firefighters. It's the perfect combination of cardio and strength training. I talk with Adam about that, his workouts, and just basically what it's like being a newer guy in the fire service. I hope you enjoy the interview, and with that, Adam Baylor. So why don't you start by telling me a little bit about your fire department and where you fit in with that department? Uh, so I work for New Albany Fire Department, which is in Southern Indiana, right across the bridge from Louisville, Kentucky. Um, we have about 76 guys, five stations. Uh, I'd say there's 40,000, roughly 40, 45,000 in New Albany, as far as population goes. And uh, I'd say we're a pretty aggressive department. Um, as far as volume of calls and things, it's hard to gauge yourself against someone else unless you really get into that and look at what they're doing. And I don't, so we stay busy. Well, we are going to compare your department with Louisville, but later on in the podcast, at least in some aspects. Oh, okay. (laughs) I think you know what I'm talking about. I do. Um, I'm actually a little bit familiar with your department because if I'm not mistaken, I work there as well. So I think you do. I do. I do. Um, so what, what's your role in the fire department in New Albany? What do you actually do? Are you a driver, officer? I am currently a firefighter, so riding backward. Uh, we, I float. I do not have a permanent house. So when you come on at New Albany, typically, depending on retirees and, uh, you know, people being promoted in the department, you might just float for a while. So I'm five years and I'm still floating because there's not been enough spots open up for me to actually move into something. So, but I do get stationed at the same house for long periods of time. Sometimes when I first came on, I would bounce around more, but now that I've moved up a little bit, I kind of, you know, you, you get signed off to drive and to ride the seat if need be. So I get to do those things whenever it's available. And riding the seat means you're riding for the captain that's off duty. Okay. Yes. Right. Yep. Um, now, I know for a fact I've made quite a few fires as an investigator that you've got a lot of experience both with the truck work making fires and engine work making fires. What about the difference there? Is there one you prefer over the other? Oh, well, you know what? I've actually been first in on I've – I've been fortunate enough to be first in on several fires even on the truck company, by accident, we were first in on something that we didn't think was actually going to be a fire. Uh, it didn't, there was no smoke or anything until we started moving some cabinets around. We saw the whole wall had fire in it. So we ended up being first in on that. So that was pretty cool. But, um, you know, it really just depends. I enjoy both. I really do. Um, you know, a lot of guys say, oh, the truck company this, the engine company that. 
I, being that I've done both, I just don't really, I, I, I it's fun being first in on a hand line and it is, then there's nothing like being inside of a burning building with no line. And, you know, that, that's a heck of a, heck of a rush and a, you know, it could definitely, definitely find out how your training's been going. If you, uh, you know, you're in that situation, which we have had happen actually not that long ago, we were in a very large structure and kind of got turned around. So, um, but I do, yeah, I enjoy both. I really do. And I've been fortunate enough to say that since I've been on, this is one good thing about floating for as long as I have, is I have made a fire or multiple fires on every engine or truck that we've had. Our department is is probably not much different than most departments where if you're on the engine, normally you make more runs because you do medical. And then the truck almost strictly makes fire runs. So there's a big difference there. Me personally, I love being on the engine. I like making medical runs. I like, you know, staying busy during the day. Uh, but again, the truck, when you do go to work, it's like you said, you don't have a hose line more times than not. You're kind of, you know, cowboying that stuff up a little bit. So I, there's a definitely a, a what do you say, a, a draw to both, I guess. Yeah. And I like that aspect of the truck company of you really don't, I mean, you get into some stuff with, you know, yesterday we had somebody come in that wanted wedding rings cut off. A finger had swelled up. And I mean, that was just walking into the station. Not that that's anything that exciting, but it's just, you kind of, anything could happen. And also you've cut off more than uh, wedding rings and regular rings, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, for some reason there seemed to be a little uh, bout of having to, I believe it was all at the ER though, right? Where you had to cut off rings off uh, you know, yeah, people's well, cash and prizes. To <laughs> the, the last one that we had was on the truck for me was a guy, told his best friend that he could, he guaranteed him that he could get out of handcuffs. Mm -hmm. uh, he couldn't get out. <laughs> we came at like three 30 in the morning to cut these handcuffs off of him because he failed to make his promise good on getting out of them. He couldn't right. do it. <laughs> and then of course, dealing with the uh, rings, you came on our department. So our department is, I think the age cut off the state of Indiana is 35 years old to be a firefighter, right? Yeah, 35. So when I got on, on this department, uh, I had just hit 35. So I had a one shot to get this job, and I got fortunate enough to do, and I believe you did too, right? Well, not one shot. It took me like eight times to try. Oh, eight times, really? That was your last shot then? Yeah, it was the, la it was my, it was the end of the road there. So And, like, I was kind of frustrated, you know, after trying out eight times. I was like, man, I, this is crazy. And – Usually, you know, you'd go to bed early the night before and everything. Well, I didn't that last one. And my wife's like, what are you doing? I thought you had the the physical uh, for the fire department tomorrow. I was like, I do, but I don't even know if I'm going to go. Because they're just kind of fed up at that time, you know. But I ended up going and it worked out for the better. But yeah, that was like the eight. I say eight. I don't really know for sure. I But it's close. Right. So you've been wanting to be a firefighter for a long time. Yeah, it was cool. I, I, I'll say I wasn't one of those guys that grew up like, fire everything like I was always like I'm going to be a fireman like I, that's not what I thought I would not that that's not what I didn't know what I would do younger I didn't have anything set in mind but I'd say my childhood would have definitely led me more to being military more than that but as time went on 
it became something that I became very interested in. Plus, I mean, you still, your father has probably one of the bigger plumbing businesses in the area. So you grew up around that. You still do that to this day on your days off. Yeah. And he, and he did, he was a volunteer fireman like my whole life. And my grandpa was one of the first chiefs at uh, a local volunteer department. And then my uncle who also works at New Albany, he was on there too. So I grew up, I spent a lot of time in the firehouse growing up. Like we would go down and I would get in the trucks and play as a kid, you know, and I, I, I liked going down there and doing that. Like I said, I kind of grew up with that. So in a volunteer department, you know, it's not like uh, full time, you know, where some, a lot of times I didn't see them make runs because dad's obviously not going to throw me in the car to be like, Hey, let's drive down to the station. But right. a few times I would see them roll out and it was a cool experience, you know, and get your blood pumping. Even as a little kid, you'd be like, Oh, I wonder what they're going to do. And uh, so, and I remember a few wrecks being with my dad, like and him pulling up and parking way back. And I would just sit in the car and talk to somebody's mom while they both went up to deal with an accident or something. It was the last time you could really try for this department. Were you thinking about trying on trying out for other departments? Because I know we're right across the river from Kentucky and they pretty much don't have an age limit for applying over there. Or is it just New Albany you wanted to work for? Uh, no, I tried out for Jeff and I tried out for Louisville. I, had, I tried out for Louisville. It's, it was, it'd been years before the last time I had tried out for New Albany, but I had taken the test at Jeff and I had gotten through to the interview process and all that. And I made it, a, you know, a, a good, I was in a good, I had a good chance to get hired yeah. uh, based off my positioning on where I scored. But that year they didn't hire, like they hired not nearly what they had the year before and the year afterwards. So it didn't work out. That's one of the problems. Uh, for those that don't know, Louisville has, you know, multiple stations, like 20 plus stations, you know, hundreds of firefighters. The smaller Southern Indiana towns, you know, we may hire one or two positions every couple of years. So the odds are definitely stacked against you as opposed to working, trying at least trying to get on some of the bigger departments. I'll, you know, I'll be honest. I think anybody would knew coming on as anybody that prepares themselves for things you wonder, hey, how am I going to deal with seeing certain things that you're going to see? Whether you see a lot of it or you don't, it could all come in one shift. You could get a bad shift and see a lot of a lot of rough things, I guess, for, you know, the, the types of runs that people say uh, that you have a hard time dealing with, I guess. So you don't know how you're going to deal with those things. But as far as that goes, I guess when you come on, the biggest thing is wondering how, how busy are we going to be? Are we going to be running all night, all the time? I didn't know what to expect for that. I, I didn't know how much we would be making fires or making medical runs and what kind of medical runs. Um, and then after you get on, you kind of adapt to that and learn. So I would say, I would honestly, I would say it's similar to what I thought as far as run volume. Um, but as far as the department itself and how it's ran and how the guys are, that really, it's just like any any other job. You've got guys that really go the extra mile to put in time to work, to train, and that are just great. And then you've got people that don't do as much, you know. So, and I think that goes for every job. I think the biggest downfall to the fire service really is, unfortunately, guys get through that see the time off and the vacation time that we get, and that's the reason that they come. They they get on, and then. There's no, it's, it's 
you're chasing something that you're not passionate about, even if not even necessarily that you have to like have a huge passion for it. Like it's got to be centered on your life. It's just some guys I think get in because of those reasons. They don't really have a desire to be there, unfortunately. But then on the other hand, you get the guys that did grow up, the, the certain guys on our department that grew up with the department or grew up always wanting to be a fireman or, right. you know, it's a, it's a, it's a mix of, of both worlds. Becoming the training officer um, for our department, that's when I really had my eyes open to who came to work ready to make each day better, become a better firefighter, better fire service, better fire department. And then I saw those that were fine with the minimum, you know, and so they come to work and they do the minimum. These are people yep. that I would trust on a fire ground. These are people I would trust with my family, getting them out of a, a burning building if need be. Uh, but there is definitely that spectrum of people that uh, want to deliver the bare minimum service and be the bare minimum firefighter. And then you got those guys, especially on your crew. We we can we can probably name people on your crew that that go that extra mile. Um, oh, absolutely. There's yeah. There's really not. I, I'm fortunate enough that on our crew, I, I really I don't dread working anywhere. Right. I, I'm working at every house on on my crew, so. And not to say that the other crews I don't too. I'm just saying mine. I, I've not worked as much there. So, but on, on my crew, I I never get put in a spot where I'm like, oh, I hate going there. So you hate a crew and C crew. Let's go into that. Who particularly? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I know what it's like when you're on a crew. Yeah. Uh, I was on C crew, and I was of the opinion, you know, nobody could beat C crew. You know, you just can't help but get that mentality. Uh, yep. But I'm like you. I enjoy working with everybody. Floating, honestly. Uh, to somebody that's not in the fire service, that might sound like it's horrible. You got to pack up not just all your bedding, your toiletries, you know, any personal items and your gear and move around from house to house. It sounds horrible, right? But honestly, it's a great way to learn your department in a short amount of time and the people that you work with. Absolutely. Like I, I enjoy the fact that I have ridden on everything and I think I've driven, well, I know I've driven everything as far as all of our apparatuses, but I haven't ridden, maybe I have ridden the seat on everything. I don't know, but I've, I've had the opportunity to do that. And I, there are guys that have gotten spots right away when they've came on our department. And I don't even know if, I don't know if they've even worked at all the houses, you know, right. I have. So that's good. You know, that's, I think it's a benefit. And then you learn the district. And if you get something where somebody's busy on a medical and then you have to fill for them, then you have a better option of knowing that area. Right. I know that uh, since I've been on, uh, some people have retired that did their whole career in one firehouse. Yeah. Well, yeah. I didn't know. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah. And that's great. I mean, you could, there's pros and cons to that. You can say, well, nobody knows that district better than so-and-so, and they're not wrong. But to your point, if something's going on, so like in New Albany, if we have one house fire, okay, that ties up 80 to 90% of our personnel and our apparatus. So it's left on the other available engine to or all, travel or the city. All yeah. Huh? Or all the department, depending on what comes in, you know. Oh, right, right. If it's if it's anything halfway decent, more than a, your garden variety house fire, you know, all hands on deck and emergency call in. And then, yep. of course, uh, we call in from other departments as well to cover our city. So uh, I can see pros and cons to staying in one place. I personally drive me nuts to be in one firehouse, one place for the rest of the, my whole career. But uh, to your point, it's kind of fun to get around, meet people and, and get more experience that way, too. Yeah, I enjoy floating and moving around from station to station. Uh, but it does make it hard because people say, well, where do you think you want to end up? 
I don't really know. Like I check my mind changes all the time. Right. Uh, and the way our bid system works is you may want to work say on engine three, but that it's it totally dependent on what comes open. So you kind of got to be a little more flexible when you're in a position like yourself, where if you pigeonhole yourself and say, I only want to work on the truck, well, a position for the truck may not open up for years, uh, especially on your crew. So, yeah, oh, yeah. 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 And I mean, and honestly, the way that it looks for me now in the department, the way I see it is I think that I'll probably end up having to move to another crew to get a spot at this point. That's just kind of where I see things shaking out. And right. if that happens and so be it, I'm cool with that. I mean, I love my crew, but I mean, if that's what happens. That's what happens. Right. Right. And, and the way our department works too, you can always get back to a crew if you want, as things open up. So that's kind of neat. Yeah. Uh, I floated, I think for a year and a half. And then I was uh, put on a busy engine company, engine one. So I enjoyed that. Uh, but I was, I was done with uh, floating. What's come up in past podcasts, uh, I haven't brought it up, but I'm going to bring it up this time, is the different in generations. And so when I came on the fire department, I was told to do this, do that, keep my mouth shut, you know, don't question anything, don't ask why, just do what you're told to do. And that's how I, I think a lot of people that have been on as long as I have came in the fire service that way. The fire service has changed. Uh, the, the cultural landscape is, is almost unrecognizable. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I actually think it's kind of a good thing. I think you have to evolve. Uh, when your anchor is tradition, like the fire service, it can be hard for different generations to meet other generations. So one of the things I learned about teaching your class was generational differences. Uh, I was teaching the class, the Euros uh, class actually, for Firefighter 1 and 2, under the preconceived idea that I'm going to tell you what to do and you guys just do it. And then there was a person in your class who I'm a big fan of, I know you are too, that would question, okay? I see you smiling. Yeah. <laughs> his, his thing was, why? Why do we do this? Why do we do that? And it was infuriating to me. And then overnight, it, that, that flip switched. Why we're doing this, why we're doing that. And I, I give credit to that person uh, to this day for, because I feel like it's made me a little bit better instructor trying to work out the whys. I'm not... If you look back at it, I didn't like being told, you know, shut the fuck up and go clean the shitters. You know, <laughs> I didn't like it. So why would I want to take that throughout my career and treat other people like that? So I've learned the art, and I call it an art, of explaining why to the different, different and younger generations. Now, mm-hmm. what do you think about the importance of why with you? Because, and we've talked about this in the past, you and I are very similar in the, in the sense that we got on New Albany for our last, is our last opportunity. We were both 35. We're a different generation. I'm, I'm older than you are, but you're still not necessarily the young, young generation. Like you think about the, the last few people that got on B crew, right? They're young. Right. Okay. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, very young. is the why important to you? Or did you recognize it being important to other people around you? I was raised, you know, playing sports and things, uh, football, wrestled as a young when I was younger, baseball, all that. You, we didn't. Well, I'm 40 now, so I was born in '80, so that the millennial cutoff is just like a little bit after me. But whatever, I did not grow up with cell phones and technology like kids do today. Right. Um, but we didn't ask why I, you know, I don't know why we didn't go run around that. Well, I 
I'm going to run for because I'm being punished, I assume. But I guess I looked at it from the standpoint of there's a reason for this guy's training us. He must know what he's doing. But it's also, I think, our parents, uh, my generation's parents grew up more uh, in an era where you didn't, you just, you didn't ask those questions. Like, what do you mean? Why? You don't ask why you just do it, you know? So even when I hear people say that now, like, Hey, you need to put this shirt on because we're doing this detail. And I heard a guy one time say, well, why are we doing that to a battalion chief? And I was like, Oh my God, why are you asking him that? Just go put the thing on. Like he would need to put on his medals or polo, whatever. And he would ask, well, why are we wearing that? And I'd be like, why does it matter? Everybody else is putting them on, you know, but, um, there are certain things I, I do think that it helps to, I, I think it helps with the learning process of knowing why you're doing something, you know, but I assume when you're being trained too, that you're being told the things that you need to know in order for you to accomplish the goal. Uh, and if, and if not, maybe they're testing you to see if you can figure it out. Like, okay, I'm going to leave this part out and this part out. Can the guy put it together? So I guess a lot of times I assume that even if I ask maybe, somebody's not going to tell me like, Hey, you'll figure it out, you know? Right. Cause that's how they learned. Well, that's how I've learned. You'll just have to learn the hard way too. Right. I'm going to see what you can piece together here and figure it out. You know, think for yourself, that kind of thing. Right. Um, which we, we like to think we're paramilitary and I tell you what, since I doing this podcast and talking to so many different people, uh, Aaron Fields, especially from uh, nozzle forward, he said, we're not paramilitary. Do we train like the military? No, we don't. You know, we're not athletes. Do we train like athletes? No, we don't. So it's a mindset that we're in. And part of that mindset is that we're paramilitary. Therefore, I can just tell you what to do without any explanation. And you're expected not only do it, but succeed at it. And I think that's, uh, that might've been the way it was in the past. Uh, I, I just don't think it's beneficial to the fire service today. Now, I'm not saying the older firefighters, there's a rub there. They're like, well, they joined my department and this is how I did it. So, you know, fuck them. This is how they're going to learn it. Right. And I, I disagree with that. I, it doesn't take but a few extra seconds to explain why you're doing something or how it fits into the big picture. I know the younger generation likes to see where they fit in in the bigger picture, especially in the fire service. Oh, yeah. And I'm not going to say that I haven't been told to do things before where I'm thinking internally, like, what are we doing? Like, I don't get this or, and then either I was misunderstood or like I, I didn't understand what was, what I was being told or uh, I ended up figuring it out anyway, you know, but I don't know. That's just not something that I ever thought that I should do. Not saying that I haven't, I'm sure I have said, Hey, why, why, why are we doing that? Right. And the more time you get on, the more comfortable you feel with asking certain people that. And yeah. I think it's part, partially, I think when guys get to know who you are and they know your, you know, your personality traits, well, just because I asked you why I'm doing something, I think a guy gets a, a captain or a battalion chief will, after they know you for a while, they're like, hey, this guy, he's he's a good guy or he's not. He's asking me this question because he's trying to get better versus is he asking me this question because he is questioning me in general? You know, like, why are you telling me to do this instead, you know, like kind of just not being upfront with really what you're trying to convey. The reason behind the question, there's, there's general. Yeah. In my career, I know I've been that way. I can look back on times where, especially after you get a little bit of time on, say around the five-year mark, six-year mark, there's this level of comfort that comes with the job. 
and you start to kind of fill your oats a little bit. And I've always said that for me personally, uh, the firefighter you're, you're going to be, you're going to be at the five-year mark. Because if you stay on top of training, if you stay on top of physical fitness and you know, caring about the fire service, it shows. And then I've also seen people that by five years on the department, they can lay on the couch and go, I think this is Corinthian leather. Or, you know, they, or, oh, you know, Big Will comes on Channel 7 at 8 o'clock, you know. There, there's those people. Again, you work with all types in the fire service. The whole idea of three-point firefighter is pride, uh, physical fitness, and training. And one of the things I learned very quickly about you when you came in the fire service, besides your affinity for practical jokes in, in training, uh. For those listening, I cannot tell you how many times Adam would run out of breath into the my office and say, oh, hey, real quick, so-and-so's coming in. I need you to tell him this. And it would just start a whole day of tormenting a, a particular individual. It was awesome. Who I love very much. <laughs> you love very much, yes. He was over here just the other day uh, breaking child labor laws. <laughs> brought his kid I over. It. Yeah. yeah, brought his kid over to mow my yard. Um, but one of the things that, that I saw in you quickly was your competitiveness in the fire service against, because the way I run training is I try to, we have a thing called head of household where if you're doing good and you answer the questions, you get to stay the head of household. It has a few perks with it. And I saw immediately how important that role was to you because you're so competitive. But the one thing I can honestly say about you is that you're one of the more competitive people I've ever met, but with zero ego. I've never met a person that is as competitive as you are with no ego. And that's why I wanted to have you on here. Also, you motivated me to up my physical fitness game, which we're going to talk about in a second about this one. I think part of it comes from being the youngest child. I've got an older brother and sister. So you're kind of, they were 10 years older than me. So I was always trying to like up, get my dad's attention or my mom's attention, maybe with things that my brother was way better than me at because he's 10 years older anyway. So right. you're already at a disadvantage. So you kind of just built that competitive edge up. And then we've got a very close family friend that was an ex Marine and he would challenge me to do things. He was one of my brother's best friends. He would challenge me a lot uh, as a young kid and he kind of brought out the fire in me very young. Like, I, I wouldn't say I was a passive kid. I was a pretty aggressive kid. Uh, but I don't know what happened. But I, he just he just took it to that other level. Um, and I'd say as far as trying to stay humble, we all get an ego. It's easy to let your head blow up. Um, but I say – I can't remember. I can't credit the right person with it, but that I read a quote and it stuck with me was um, don't, don't get too cocky. There's, there's a lot of cool things that happened before you were ever here. And so I think about that a lot, like, you know, Hey, as soon as you want to blow your, like I've been on five years, like the fire department, I'm not about to start bragging about anything that I've done. And I shouldn't, I mean, (laughs) There, there used to be a lot more fires than there are now. So I don't know that I'll ever be able to build up the amount of having that under my belt. Cause it's just, sometimes you gotta be fortunate enough in the fire service to be in the right place at the right time. I mean, you can miss a lot of good runs just for whatever reason. Uh, so some of the older guys have had experiences that I may or may not be able to have or to learn from. Um, 
And I'll also say the thing about being humble is I've, I grew up with a lot of sports in my life. And for whatever reason, even watching it on TV and to this day, I can't stand somebody thumping their chest. I can't stand it. I can't stand to see a guy score a touchdown and just uh, somebody say, act like you've been there before or, uh, one of my favorite players of all time is Barry Sanders, running back for the Detroit Lions. I know you're a real big sports guy. Yeah, that's uh, baseball, right? Yeah. Right. Okay, gotcha. But he would say, they would say, why do you throw the ball back to the official when you score instead of like celebrating? And he'd say, because I plan on being back there again. Like, this isn't the only time I'm going to make this. Like, I'm not just going to achieve my goal one time and have to let everybody know about it. You know, uh, I just never have liked that. So I try not to do that. But I'm not going to say it's never come out in me because I definitely had let my competitiveness in me. I've let it out <laughs> before. I, I got to admit, I have not seen it. And especially in training, the things that I set up for you guys to do when, when it came to competitive stuff, you could see it in your eyes. But again, you were all about the team. You never, never one time rubbed it in anybody's face. And, you know, in training, you, you know, you get, you get with these guys and <clears throat> you form a little bond because it's your training class, you know, that you came on with these guys with, you came on with these guys and it'd be, you know, you could even joke around and say, ah, I kicked your ass in this, but you never once did. So that caught my eye early on. And then, so I personally am of the belief in the fire service that everything in the fire service is made better through physical fitness. I'm not saying you have to be, you know, an Olympic athlete or anything, but I think that effort has to be made uh, to keep yourself in physical, good physical shape. So my routine, most COVID, the one nine's changed a little bit, but uh, uh, gym and running, go to the gym, go and running. Uh, And I would get into 5k races, mini marathons. That's, that was my idea of physical fitness. Then I mean, you, and you start talking about some alternatives to just pushing weight up and down and, and just running 30 minutes steady state. So what, what were some of those things? Well, obstacle course racing, so Spartan Race, Tough Mudder, Rugged Maniac. There used to be one called Battle Frog that was probably the toughest that I had done. Um, and they're basically military-style obstacles with a lot of rugged terrain, a lot of mud, a lot of cold at the right time of the year. It's rain or shine. The race is going to happen no matter really what the uh, weather is doing. So that hot, it doesn't matter. Um, a lot of carrying heavy things, uphills, downhills, a lot of upper body strength for similar to American Ninja Warrior things, I guess you'd see. So you're kind of compounding all those things together, uh, running, lifting, agility, and it makes it it makes it a very interesting combination of uh, figuring out how, the right ways to train for it and to get better at it. Uh, it takes it takes some figuring out. I, you you were talking about it to me, and it sounded like at that point I was tired of going for long runs. I was tired of just staying in the gym, doing the same thing over and over. Oh, it's Monday, so you do this. It's Wednesday, you do that. So I decided to do one of those races a few years back. Um, probably three years ago, I think. And it was a rugged maniac. So that was my first foray into obstacle racing. Now, to be fair, I don't do the elite. So for those listening, usually the first group that goes off in the morning is the elite. That's the time. That's the first, second, third place people. Everybody else is just going to go through the course to have fun, maybe work on personal times or whatever. 
Mm-hmm. So uh, the story I like to tell is my very first one was in uh, Paoli, Indiana, and it's a ski slope. So it's the elevation gains and, and drops are insane. And I'd never done anything like this. Uh, totally hooked on them all now. But um, so I go to this one and the elite had already gone off. So they were just coming in as my, I was loading into the cattle chute to go for my group to go off and they do it in waves. So there was, I don't know, 40, 50 people in my in my little shoot. So the elite guys are coming in. So the winner's coming in and I hear over the speaker. Now the, where you start the course and when you end the course are side by side. So I hear the announcer say the first sub 30 coming through and you can, so I start looking for the guy coming across and it's a blue blur of an individual going through obstacles, like just like he's done it for his whole life. As soon as this person comes in and goes across the finish line, it was you. And I looked over to the left. I knew you did these things, but I didn't know you were that competitive as far as trying to win them. And you came in first. And I remember thinking, I looked over to you and said, Adam, hey, how's it going? Uh, but that wasn't your first win, was it? No, I don't know what year that, the one, the story you're telling. If that that was, might 2017, I think. No, then that was the first year I won. Okay, so let me read this real quick. Let me see. Um, I'm only going to go cover a couple of your wins, okay, because there's just too many of them. And, again, I didn't know – I feel like I know you pretty well. I think you and I talk a lot about when it comes to physical fitness and stuff, but I still had no idea. Uh, you run. You won the first place in the Rugged Maniac, 17, 18, and 19. You've done first place in the Louisville Stair Climb, 17, 18, and 19, which we kind of brought up earlier. We'll talk about that in a second. First place in the Tough Mudder in 2019 – Coming in third, fourth, and Spartan races. I mean, you're, you obviously do this to that next level. So when you first got into obstacle racing, was that your plan? Like, I'm going to get first, I'm going to win, or did you just get in it just to do it for some different kind of exercising, which is honestly why I did it? No, no. The reason I got into it was uh, me and my wife went on a trip to Florida to visit uh, her family, part of her family, and we were looking at pictures when we got home. And I was like, man, she looks really good in a bathing suit. And I look horrible. I was out of shape. I'd been an athlete. I'd always been an athlete. But, I, you know, during that time, um, I, I had gotten away from everything that I enjoyed doing. As far, I mean, you can't go to the park and you could, but you don't like have pickup games of football. That was my favorite sport. And I just kind of got away from all of that. And then I really honestly started thinking about it. This is before we had kids. I thought, we're going to have kids. And I'm already on my way to being out of shape and I'm getting like, I'm ha- I think I'm having too much fun here, not eating healthy, not exercising, <laughs> uh, indulging too much. <clears throat> and then I was like, man, how, like my kids are never going to remember me being anything but out of shape. I don't want that. And then it just so happens that when we got home, uh, she was looking at a, like a Groupon thing and she saw this thing on there, which I've always had like, I've always had a big interest in special forces and military and those books. And I, I just, I think it's the, just the extreme nature of it that I like. And she saw a race that kind of marketed itself that way, which was the rugged maniac. And she was like, Hey, I think this, you might like this. Maybe she was trying to tell me I was out of shape or maybe she really <laughs> just thought I would like it. I don't know, but I got two friends to do it with me and we did not, do well. I mean, it was, but it was, I loved, I mean, it destroyed me, but I loved it. 
Right. And I had never been an actual just runner per se, like never it's like, Hey, I'm going to go run. Like I would think about running a mile and I'd think, Oh my God, how am I going to run them? Like, that's a lot. <laughs> um, so, but I still remember it was the first year and in the open heat, I finished 111 and I watched the guy finish first because at that time, well, we got there early, so we hadn't ran yet. He ran, he got to the top, he finished. And I looked at my buddy and I said, can you imagine being in that good of shape? He's like, no. And, and my friend was in better shape than I was. And he was like, man, that dude is, he's ripped. Like he, he must put it in. And I'm like, what would it be like to feel, you know, to be, to be at the top of your game? Like it's something again. And I, it just like this fire just got, I don't know. I just got a fire in me about it. Like it brought my competitive nature back out. So went from 111th. And I think even cooler than the accomplishment of the story of, of that same race in 2012, I ended up winning in 17, 18, and 19. And I think in 16, I was second, 15, I was fourth, third, somewhere in, the, in there for you know a few years straight after I started getting competitive, but I still could not get to the top. There was a, a guy that's a friend of mine that would beat me and I, could, I couldn't beat him. And, and thankfully, sometimes I would see his name at different races and I'd be like, I wish he wasn't there because <laughs> that I'd have a better shot. And I don't want to be like that. You, you know, we lie to ourselves and be like, I want to take on everybody. And I did deep down, but when I would see his name on there, I would think, oh man, I wish he wasn't showing up. But anyway, he ended up racing the day that I won. So that was a, you know, that made the win even better because he did show up and it was somebody that I couldn't beat. So, but it was a long, it was a long journey to the top. I'm trying not to ramble too far off on it. Cause it's, it was, I mean, 20, 2012 telling I'm still doing it now. Um, but there was a lot of, I think that I'm good enough to do this. I think I'm good enough to be in the top 15, the top 10. I think I could, in every race I would do, I would get a little bit better. And then I started talking to some of the guys that were at the top of it. And I would realize the time that they were putting it in, uh, putting the time in to train and, I just had a passion for it and I just loved it. And I loved the way that it made me feel. And it put me in a position that I, I just felt better. I mean, I really just felt better. And it just gave me, I think it's important for everybody, no matter what their hobby is to have something, even, you know, the fire department is great, but I feel like it's a job that you definitely need to have other, you need to have other things to set your sights on to keep you going. Cause it's, it's just, you just have to have that. It's a good escape. Right. So with the big ones, Spartan, uh, Rugged Maniac, what's some other ones? Um, uh, Tough Motor. Uh, Tough Motor, Battle Frog was one that was uh, ran by Navy SEALs. And I remember that was a big kick in the teeth because I showed up to a race in Cincinnati. And this is when I thought I was good. So I thought I was good. And I showed up to this race and it was the same five mile course twice. And you would never think this, but in Cincinnati, Ohio, it ended up being like 2,000 feet of elevation gain per lap, which I did not understand. But we were climbing hills with ropes and rocks were falling down in your face. And it was wild, but it was so tough that that first year that I thought that I had become one of the best, like already. Like, like I said, ego might have got to my head a little. Um, and there, were, there was an obstacle in this. It was called the rig. And I couldn't, pa- I couldn't get past it. And the, the way Battle Frog would work is you had to wear a band. And to even be a qualifier to finish, you had to have your band. 
And so you could finish the race, but if you didn't have your band, you weren't technically a finisher. Right. And it killed me. I still have the video of me trying to get past it that first year. I couldn't do it. And when I left that race, I remember thinking, all right, now it's, I know like this, like it was, it literally ripped the calluses off my hands with all the carrying. You had like two 60 pound jerry cans that you had to carry, um, buckets and sandbags. It was just torturous. But in the same sense, as strange as it sounded, I loved it. Like I love, <laughs> I love taking the beat down. Like I just, it was awesome, but it challenged me and it let me know that don't sing it, bring it. I'm a little, I'm pretending a little bit here. You're not telling yourself the truth. You're not as good as you think you are. Ooh, and that, so then, that's hard. To, that's a hard pill to swallow sometimes too. Absolutely. Yep. Cause I thought I was, I thought I was ready to compete with anybody and I was not. So what happened to battle frog? You talk about it like it doesn't exist anymore. Is it, does it not? No, it doesn't exist. Well, it, um, honestly, it, a lot of people say that it went away. They, they, they stopped getting the amount of people to show up because, uh, it was so hard. People would do it one time and they would not want to come back. Really? Uh, yeah. It's like the last, I did the very last race they had. Uh, it was in Ohio. It was, it was in the same place as the first one I tried, which I, at the end of it, I'd say I'd end up doing seven or eight of their races in, in different places. But the last one that I did was in the same place where I started it, where I tried that first time. And out of all the people that showed up that day, I think, 37 people actually finished with their band on like finished where they were able to do both laps and finish every obstacle and complete everything without quitting. Wow. Uh, I know from personal experience how tough those races can be. And the reason I like them so much is because you go out there with some friends and just, you know, take, you know, pace yourself and still have a good time or you can try to do like every year I try to shave off time. But of course, uh, you know, this has been a weird year, so I'm sure most of them have been canceled. I think the Rugged Maniac was supposed to be like last month, wasn't it? Yeah, it all got every every obstacle race. Uh, there's been a few in the Midwest, farther north, that have ran a couple small ones. But no Spartan, which is my favorite. That's what I run. That's It's the most competitive, and it's the most challenging as far as, you know, who shows up. Spartan was the biggest measuring stick as far as it all went because – I can remember the first race I did for Spartan. It's funny the numbers you remember, but I remember I was 30. I, I had started training. It was after that rugged maniac. And I was 34th out of a lot for the open heat, though. That had no, that was no age group or no elite. So I thought at that time, I was like, oh, I'm moving up. But then I would set a goal. I started running the elite heat. And then I moved in the top 20. And I was like, I think I could do top 15. And then I could do top 10. And then top five and then podium. I want to be on the top three or win or whatever, you know. Um, and I kept progressing. And it just seemed like it moved up a little bit. The more, you know, just like anybody says, the more you put into it, the more that you get out of it. And that was totally true with Spartan. So when I started in just regular running and stuff, I found the training to be start out with distance. I, okay, I can run nonstop for a mile. Now I can run stop non uh, run nonstop two miles four miles got up to i think i think i got up to 15 miles once i hit a certain goal which my immediate goal i think was three miles uh then i started working on time so i was running distance a little bit faster that honestly in and of itself isn't that difficult a training program to comprehend what about you and you training for these obstacle course races what does your training look like 
Uh, I typically do right now. I'm not, I've been a little beat up I'm trying to get over that. So I've been doing a lot more biking, uh, road biking and fan biking, but typically when it's in season, I try to do 30 to 40 miles a week. Um, now that's driving, right? Yeah, no, no, no. Oh, that's running. Oh, damn. yeah. Yep. So, and, and those are broken up into, you know, there's a, a method to it all. And, and I've tried different things. Uh, you do some speed work and you do some eat runs where you just go out and do easy stuff. And then you try to string things together. I guess the dip, the biggest difference with obstacle for me, obstacle course training is you have to supplement those. So you might go out and run a hard quarter mile and then go straight into to simulate an obstacle. You jump on a pull-up bar and do 10, 15, whatever pull-ups and then go straight into a burpees or a deadlift or have a sandbag close to you, a 50, 80 pound sandbag or a bucket of rock. And then you carry it as, as soon as you get done running a loop of something uh, to simulate the training. Uh, and then you also do a lot of, you could go to, I mean, a lot of guys do a lot of track interval stuff to get faster, to go build up their mile times. Um, and a lot of people get, caught up in the mile game how many miles did you run this week and i'm not 25 so putting the mile i've 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 started to learn about what i can put in as far as mileage where i start to get into an area where you take more chances of getting hurt so you're trying to push hard but you know really the less of your training you see the nobody ever posts their easy workouts but really the most most of my workout should be on the little bit easier side. That doesn't mean like uh, a cakewalk. It just means it might be a longer workout, but just not at a heavy, hard pace. You know, you don't have, that's, I guess that's the biggest thing every, everybody thinks with physical fitness, especially people that aren't into it, is that just every mile is just, you're just hammering it. And mm-hmm. you're not, if you're doing that, you're doing it wrong. I mean, right. 80% or thereabout of your run volume should be done at an easy pace. Or easier pace, you know. Right. You can run at all different paces and different terrains. But I love trail running. That's probably my favorite part of it. I just been, I would much rather run on a trail than on a track or on a road. I just it's it's more fun. Hills and dirt and flying around corners. It's just a good time. Well, um, where does for you physical fitness obviously was something that that took a hold of you early on. But now that you're a firefighter, how well does it translate into your job? Do you feel like you train, physically train enough for your job, or do you still find yourself a little gassed when you shouldn't be when you're at a fire for an extended period of time? Well, the first fire that I ever had, and I was in great shape, this was, I I don't know if I had won anything at that point, but I was getting up there, and I was, I could tell my training was going to another level. But we had our first fire, so it had been five years ago, roughly, and I mean, I showed up and I was like, oh, I can do this. And I went in and I started pulling ceilings and we weren't first in or anything. We were actually like the third engine there. So we showed up and it was it was very hot inside. When I got in there, I started pulling ceilings and I was like, I can remember thinking I was standing there with the two other guys that were in there with me. And I kept thinking, please let their low air alarm go off before mine, please. (laughs) Please stop. Cause I was like getting lightheaded. But it, was the, it was the intensity that I was like, you have to, I don't care what kind of shape you're in. It definitely helps with being in a fire and doing things, but there's always a level when it's so, when it's that hot, I don't care how good a shape you're in. If you push past that limit and you're 
your temperature gets up, you're screwed. And I can remember I walked out of uh, – th- their alarms did go off. And I was like, yes. And so then I kind of hobble out behind them in the smoke and walk out the front door. And as soon as I could get, like, kind of out of sight, I kneeled down to get a drink of water and uh, had to get a new pack. So I kneeled down, and then uh, BG was standing up. He was standing over by the engine, and he was standing up watching me. Like, nobody else was – he caught – you know, he saw me kneel down over there. <laughs> and uh, he kind of winked at me and started laughing, and he pointed at me like, you ain't what you thought you are, you know, that kind of <laughs> And it was funny because I was like – because guys would tell me, hey, you got to learn how to pace yourself in this. Yeah. And it's so true. Like, it's so true. But it definitely, that being said, I, would I tell anybody about being in shape? And this isn't about me. This is for any anybody like that is getting in the fire service or is currently working there that is maybe not on the, the in, in good health or better shape. Um, it takes you you can learn so much but if you can't do it physically it doesn't matter you know what i'm saying like i could go to all the trainings i wanted but if i was not physically capable to do the things that i learned what does it matter right does not make a difference like there are a lot of things that i don't know i still don't know there's still things that i haven't done enough of to get a grasp of to say hey i'm great at this or some things i you know have not dealt with yet but i know if i keep my shape, keep myself in, in the shape that I'm in or thereabouts, that I'll be able to do those things if I do learn them. Whereas, you know, there's some other guys that run around talking this, that, and the other thing. And it's like, yeah, but could you actually, could you actually do it? Like, are you physically <laughs> able to do it? Right. You know what I mean? Because uh, if you don't have one, you, you, you can't have the other. Like say, you right. can be. And that goes back to what I was saying is that I think it's really the foundation of everything we do is good physical fitness. And to your point, you can be in good shape, good cardio, you know, uh, strong, but going into a superheated area wearing 40, 50, 60 pounds worth of gear, that that's the great equalizer right there. That's where you, you realize that I'm in really good shape for outside of the fire department, but wearing the gear, you know, taking the heat, that's a whole different thing. And those are hard to really simulate in your training. I mean, you can, you, there's certain things you can do. Um, I know myself for years, I still have this vest. I have a weighted vest. It was 20 pounds and I would run hills with this and it helped. It really made things better for me. Absolutely tore up my knees and my feet. So yeah. I had, I, what do I do? You know? So I'm like, I'm, I'm getting prepared for the job at the same time. I'm actually slowing myself down or, or later on in my career. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a humbling experience, um, which we both know there's a lot of firefighters out there all over the place that are not good physical shape. I mean, the, the stats tell us that, you know, half of us, 50% of all line of duty deaths are, are cardiac related. Um, the number one injury on the fire ground is like sprains and strains and all that stuff. Uh, again, it goes back to what we said earlier, you know, we, we like to think we're athletes, but we're not, you know, it's, it's very, it's a very humbling experience. Uh, even if you're in great shape, uh, like yeah. you said, it's important. I think it's uh, the number one thing. I think if you're going to be a firefighter, you need to be in good shape. You really need, you put in the effort. You know, we also know people that we work with that are portly, but they put in the effort. They really do put in the effort to get oh, yeah. better. You know, yeah. um, me personally, one of the things I found in my experience is 
interval training. I think that is one of the best things. If I had to give any advice to any new firefighter is th- do steady state running, you know, do that three miles at your whatever pace, your eight minute pace, eight mile pace. That's fine. But get into that interval. You got to get that heart rate up, you know, past that VT, VT2 threshold, you know, where it's hard to talk and then drop it back down. I learned late in life that recovery is just as important as the exercise itself. And that'd be another another big thing. But doing uh, some of the obstacle races that I've done, uh, I've learned, I, I thought I was in shape. I wasn't in shape. I was in great shape for running on a flat surface, <laughs> you know, and not doing anything. I can, I can run and listen to uh, music for 30 minutes like a motherfucker. Yeah. But when the, the rubber meets the road, it's a whole different story. And as you get older, I'm going to be 20, 27 next month. As you get older. Congratulations. Sorry, well, happy birthday. Rough life. Thank yeah. you very much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I still believe it's, and I like what you said. You can go on a class in the world and learn all these tactics and techniques, but if you physically can't do it, what's the point? Mm-hmm. And I remember having a, uh, years ago, I went to a really, really good class about auto extrication. And there was a person there that was breathing heavy when he showed up. And when, so we're, we're talking about, we're going to cut this and do this and stabilize that. I'll never forget that, you would pass him the the spreaders and he couldn't go to work for a couple of seconds. He had to stop. Right. Just, he was like ram ventilating like a shark. <gasps> you know, that's that. And then he got to go to work. I'm thinking, man, you know, people depend on you. You know, people, yeah. when, when they go to bed with their children in the bedroom, everybody's going to sleep and everything. God forbid something goes wrong. They think people like us are going to come get them. So we got to take that, that extra step and be yeah. in good shape. Yeah. Get uncomfortable, get comfortable being uncomfortable. Right. Embrace the suck. Yeah. And and I really I'm like a true believer in that, because the more uh, the one thing that the hard workouts do, like it's really hard for certain people to push themselves by themselves during a workout. I think I have I've been fortunate enough. I don't have that trouble. I will challenge myself. Uh, Joe DeSena from Spartan Race, the owner of Spartan Race, he has a lot of podcasts and he likes to say every time you're out complaining about how hard your workout is just realize that there's somebody out there that has already gone twice as far as you have and they're going to go twice as far as you are to come back and you're in the middle of something and you're thinking oh my gosh i'm four miles in this is rough and then it's like wait a minute somebody out there's working harder than you today suck it up you know and i try to keep that mentality but it does the biggest thing for me that those type of workouts to do like there's a lot like with the assault, I got an assault bike, which is the fan bike. And there's a lot of 15 calories in a minute on the odd minutes and 15 burpees on the even minutes. And you see how long you can keep that up and it will kill you, but it gets you comfortable with not just comfortable with being uncomfortable. It teaches you to know what, that you're okay. Like I know what I can do. I think a lot of what makes guys maybe even on a fire, or, you know, we had an extrication one day when it was 100 degrees and there was no trees around the middle of the interstate. And, I mean, we all felt like we were going to pass out. But I think what it helps you with is you get you get used to knowing my heart rate's up. I'm sweating like this. I've felt this way before. I'm okay. Whereas right. someone that does not do that weekly or, you know, monthly even – they don't know. Like they get to that point, their heart rate gets up, and then now your anxiety's up because you're like, man, I don't know if I can keep this up. Like, this might, I might pass out. I might, whatever. I'm past my lactic threshold. I can't do this anymore. 
right. where someone that does it regularly, you just know, you just, you know that you can do it. You know, you, you know that you're able to go that extra mile and you're not going to die. <laughs> There's something that uh, I've always said, it's called resetting your minimum. And resetting your minimum to me is if I run, you know, three miles in 25 minutes, then I, that's my minimum now, right? So yeah. very, very next day, I don't have to go crush it and beat it then, but that's my next goal. I got to reset my minimum. And I think it's the same for the fire service. If you can do, you know, you're able to force the door this way, you know, the, the standard way, re, that's your minimum. So maybe yeah. learn a, a more advanced way and build, your, build yourself up a little bit. Uh, we talked about the difficulty in getting physically prepared because you don't work out in all your gear. You don't work out in a superheated environment. However, you you, Adam Baylor, do something along with some other brothers on the department where you do uh, a competitive thing with all of your gear, the Louisville stair climb. Yep. Now, again, Louisville's a really big city. It's right across the river. They've got hundreds of firefighters. We're southern side of Indiana. So the Louisville Fire Department puts this on. Is that right? Well, it's actually American Lung, American Lung Association. Okay. And how many times have you beat Louisville Fire Department? Three. Three. <laughs> so next year, do you think they're, well, they're probably gunning for you after the second or third time. Yeah, I, I would think so. I mean, anybody competitive is going to feel that way or whatever. But honestly, what put me, what got me to that, um, what, what got me to motivated to do that was there were guys on our own department that told me I couldn't do it. And I love that. There's no greater. So that's been that's been the key to my success for about just about anything is people get their feelings hurt so bad and don't want anybody to tell them the truth about you're out of shape. You don't know enough about this to do that. Um, there's no way. I, I remember when I first came on, there's this guy from Louisville and he's won it this many times. And there's no dude, I'm telling you, you might get second or third, but you're not going to beat him. And I took that to heart like. There wasn't anything to do with Louisville. It was the fact that somebody that I knew and respected told me that I couldn't do it. And I'm like, I'm going to do it. Like I knew I, and then the first year I did it, I got second. So that frustrated me because I, I'm, I missed it by like five seconds or whatever. And, uh, but you changed your train. You knew what to expect after that first time. Yeah. Right. So you changed your training to, to meet that next goal. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is, you know, I, pl I played with it and I did some different things with uh, getting prepared for it. We do like we me and two or three other guys will go to a place in New Albany and run stairs. We do that together. But then, I, you know, I don't have it's 38 stories. Right. Uh, the one that we climb. So and what's your time on that? Six minutes, 16 seconds. Wow. What is, what is last year's and it. And I want to say the first year I did it, it was like 6.55. Holy cow. So, but it is, I mean, it is a, you, I've done 15 mile races and stuff like that before and went on 20 mile training runs. And I, there, but having that gear on and hammering it for 38 stories, just even in that short amount of time. I mean, the first time I did it, I felt like I, everything inside of my lungs came out. Like it's just <laughs> dry in there. And it's not a pleasant experience, but it's something that everyone should just, especially if you're in the, it's not just for our department, it's for any departments. And they do it all across the country. Cincinnati, right, right. Um, they, they do it everywhere. Uh, so 
it's just even if you just went just to say, hey, I'm going to do the, the, the whatever it is and just to do it, you know, just to complete it is a challenge. It is. I mean, because we've done, you know, we've had runs where we had to walk 13, 14 stories in the middle of the night just right. getting out of sleep. And it sucks. And you're not running, you know, but you're carrying everything. The elevators don't work. Uh, we had that happen. And then we get to the top and realize it was just somebody with cleaning supplies that set off on them, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Brother, we've talked about quite a few things today, and I appreciate your time on this one. Uh, you honestly, you motivated me to up my game a little bit, uh, and I know the guys that were around you were motivated by you. I think you're a great example of what, uh, especially at the time, what a new firefighter should be. Uh, and I think your your career path, you're well on your way to, to nothing but success. And I think I want to thank you for that, and I appreciate your time, brother. Well, I appreciate I appreciate you having me on. It's been fun. All right, buddy. Take care. <laughs>